We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want Darnold taking down Malik Jackson, the Tennessee Volunteer is there. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Older Drew Gear. That is my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Dan Helly from Fox Sports talking about one of my man crushes of the free agent period. Malik Jackson, I don't know, I can't wait till we get into that, but we, you know, we had Sunday we had our first, first officials of many Sundays to come of absolutely no football, and my weekend was quite boring, but Sunday I woke up and I was like, you know what, Sabres are playing at three, I'm going to go to Doc Sullivan's, my favorite watering hole, and watch this, watch this hockey game. And then like mid-morning I'm on Facebook and I see Doc Sullivan's. Oh, we got a private party. We're not opening until 3, which is great for me because number one anxiety is talking one-on-one to a woman face-to-face. Number two is walking into Doc Sullivan's alone and seeing that every spot at the bar is taken. So the fact that they open at 3 due to a private party, this works in my favor. I get there at like 3.05. Anybody goes to Doc Sullivan's and you go south on Abbott, you know that there's like a, a small private lot right next to it with a gate. Not like an automated gate, but a gate you would see at a park where you have to physically get out of your vehicle, do a lock, push it open, drive in. There's a van parked in the first spot, but it's pulled forward, blocking anybody from getting in or out of that lot. And there's like four or five cars behind the van in the lot. I'm I'm in watching the Sabres game happen, and I'm at the end of the bar, and I can hear somebody is wanting to leave, but they parked in that lot from the private party, and I I just know the bartender's coming to me. He's coming around the, the whole bar, like, oh hey, hey, did you drive a van? And, oh no, 
Hey, uh, you guys, you guys drive a gray van? He gets to me. Uh, hey, do you drive a gray van? Dude, do I look like I drive a van? I have a mohawk. People with mohawks do not drive Honda Odysseys. It is not mine. And I, there was like 10 to 15 people at the bar, and that, that got uh, a little bit of a, a laugh from some people, which was great. But uh, Sunday, uh, where can people come see this mohawk and your teeth? Ah, folks, you can come check out Chris's stupid hair and hear more of the, these hilarious stories of his social anxiety. At 34 Rush, we are going to be doing a show with the guys from Rock Sports Network and the Huddle TV show. We're, there's a huge signing event going on. Bill's centric signing event on Sunday at Batavia Downs. It's going to be crazy. You're talking Marv Levy's going to be there, Stevie Johnson, Kenny Davis. I, I want to just ask Kenny Davis if he still believes that a helicopter is the reason that Scott Norwood missed that field goal. Because he seems convinced that some Blackhawk providing security is the reason they lost the game. I think Fred Smurlis will be there too. Uh, Josh Allen's going to be there. It's uh, th There's so many former Bills that are going to be there. It's going to be a great event. If you're if autographs are your thing, or just getting some FaceTime with guys who are legends in a Bills jersey, come on out. It's going to be fun. You can have a beer five with Chris and I. You know, pick our brains about why Chris does this to himself and his ridiculous hair. How do I deal with it and not just bash him in the head with things on a regular basis? I don't know. Come on down. It's going to be a great time again. Batavia Downs Casino this weekend, 34 Rush. The show starts if you can't make it down. The show will air not only on WBGT-TV in Rochester, but it's also going to be on Facebook Live at noon on the Rock Sports Network page. There's going to be a link to it in the show's description if you want to tune in. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we also completely understand if you don't want to come and stay inside and watch uh, AAF football. <laughs> we get it. Folks, now, see, me, I missed the AAF games this weekend, mostly because my Sunday was spent drinking my way through a 12-pack and making my first prime rib ever. I got to tell you, don't do it to yourself. Not because it won't be delicious, but because when you're drunk and surrounded by more delicious meat than any one man should ever be able to get his hands on at one time, Chris, you, you just, it's human nature to go overboard, right? Oh, uh, Absolutely. I was drunk with power. I was walking around, literally at one point, shirtless, with just a piece of prime rib in my hand, just walking around with a beer in the other, just thinking, is this it? Have I peaked? Is this the top of the mountain? Is this as happy as one man can ever be? I don't know. We're going to find out. But with that said, we got a lot of tweets and a lot of things about over the weekend. You know, Mike Crow, listener of the show, you know, he and I go back and forth on, on uh, Facebook all the time. And he was talking to me about the AAF games, and I recorded them, and I went back and watched some of them. I got to tell you, this is interesting stuff, Chris. I mean... They did get a lot of help from that one hit. <laughs> yes. That they, blew up social media, and that could be a catalyst for how the rest of the season goes. Well, that's it. So the question becomes, is the average football fan going to gravitate towards this? I have a list of pros and cons. Okay. I'd like to just break this down as simply as possible. The pros and cons to continuing to follow the AAF after week one. Reasons to avoid it. Okay, First and foremost, one of the main reasons to avoid the AAF is to avoid being reminded of how poorly the Buffalo Bills have done over the last decade at evaluating talent and drafting. 
I mean, the number of players that used to be in a Bills uniform who are playing AAF football right now is staggering to me. The moment I turned it on Saturday, they were doing a story on Ron Brooks. Of course they're doing a story on Ron Brooks. I'm sure Greg Trelone begged them to do it. You know, friend of the show, flag holder for the team. I bet you he was begging them, please, please, Ron Brooks. Because Ron Brooks was the supposed, you know, what, what was he, the savior of our secondary? So, or very early in our uh, <laughs> podcast history, somebody tweeted at us or joined a conversation with us on Twitter and literally said that they would rather have Ron Brooks than Stephon Gilmore. It's a classic tweet. I wish, of, I wish I had a screenshot. Exactly. One of them has a ring. One of them's uh, big in the AAF. <laughs> Great. Wonderful. Colton Schmidt, former Bills punter, AAF material. Ryan Davis, former Bills defensive end, recent defensive end. Keith Tolbridge, an undrafted free agent we brought into training camp last year. I mean, the, 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 just between coaches, Dennis Thurman is in the AAF. <laughs> Dennis Thurman. Yeah. People, people, what are we? You have to. I didn't do anything here. I have to watch these things and just think to myself, what? If there's any silver line, Sterling Moore, Sterling Moore's there. Linebacker Carl Bradford, Mo Porter. Look, just all of these guys. <laughs> None of these names ring a bell. Evan Rodriguez. And no, not the good one who plays for the Sabres. Yeah. Some fullback wannabe. None of those names ring a bell unless they play for the Bills. Nor should they. They should never ring a bell for anyone. They should. The only thing they should be ringing is things up at Home Depot. And yet they're here playing football. It makes it incredibly hard to take the whole thing seriously when you look at it. And it makes me feel bad that I have to know that these guys were part of our team. It's frustrating. It makes me feel bad about where we've come from. Chris, another thing that I feel like is a con that's working against the AAF. How many people rely on this time of year, especially Bills fans, to recover from the football season? This is usually the time. Chris, it takes a lot to be a Buffalo Bills fan. Think about the seasons outside of last year. Think about every season when it ends, there's that little, especially when the Patriots are in and winning the Super Bowl, there's a bad taste in your mouth. It takes a while for that to go away. Yeah, but like for like for me, I was somewhat looking forward to the season be, being over. That way I didn't have to look at Potter's face for a couple of months. <laughs> He's going to fight you, I swear to God. It's going to be great. We're going to televise it. And with that, the last thing I can think of, reasons to boycott this thing or at least avoid it, is that Jeff Fisher's involved. Jeff Fisher, okay? The same Jeff Fisher that I've long said should have been dumped in Guantanamo Bay years ago for all of the things he's done to the game of football. I mean, Chris, the last, the last chance he got, he butchered an NFL football game from the booth. <laughs> It, that's Jeff Fisher. That could be ruled as assault in some states. He is the reverse King Midas. Everything he touches does, in fact, turn to shit. Why should I believe that something he's heavily involved in is going to succeed? Why should I take time out of my day for that? I don't know what I mean. At least for me, watching I watched Sunday night's game with Marvin Lewis on the booth, in the booth, and I tweeted that 
that uh, gif out of uh, from Major League Two, the Monty, the other broadcaster next to Bob Euchre. Fly ball, caught. That is the level of intensity that we're talking about, folks. What is the entertainment value of that? Yeah, he was not entertained by anything that happened on Sunday. He was so boring. I'll tell you what did entertain me. Okay, I've got a few reasons that fans should maybe give this a chance. You know, you're going to look at the pro's ledger. First of all, it's refreshingly transparent for a football game. And it expedited what the... Chris, the game that I'm used to watching between college football and pro football, this was new. This felt good. You know, you watch you watch plays happen and there's no downtime. Or at least limited downtime. It was fun. It, it flowed. It, it felt like to me... Like, to me, watching an NFL game and then watching the AAF was like the difference between watching an NHL hockey game and then watching a Bandits lacrosse game. I mean, is that a fair comparison? Yeah. This was loose. It was fast-paced. I don't know. I just It had a whole different vibe to it that just felt like old-school football used to. No kickoffs and the extra points. I love that. I love it because, I mean, not to hate on anything that our special teams units provide— but isn't this a useless point of the part of the game by this point? You've gotten rid of the wedge. You've gotten now you're making touchback rules that are forcing pretty much everything to the 25 yard line. Just start it at the 25 yard line then. Give them the yeah, ball. Yeah, like a college OT. Yard. Like a college OT. Just start it. Just the 25. start it there. I'm not a person who wants to see special teams phased out of the NFL. Not by a long shot. But I have to tell you, watching football without it, I didn't miss it. I did not miss it. Yeah, and then well, then you have like the the horror stories on kickoffs. Remember Kevin Everett? Do, do I remember it? That yeah. that was fucking horrific. Yeah, you eliminate stuff like that happening with the no kickoffs. Also, fewer TV timeouts and flags. The stoppages in play. The the natural stoppages in play. Do you remember this season? I do because I I I drunkenly tweeted at NFL officiating that they were ruining the game. And then I found out that I had I had emailed my ticket rep, Chris, my season ticket rep. I sent him a very hostile, drunk email in the middle of that Jaguars game <laughs> when the refs threw a flag on five straight plays. Five straight plays! There was a flag thrown. Against one team or the other, and I sent him an angry email just stating that this game sucks, this league sucks, and I hate everything. You know, you're missing a, a bullet point here on a reason to watch. I just thought of it. Uh, the replay official mic'd up. Oh, no, that's huge. That's part of the transparency. When you're talking about hearing how these decisions get made, I mean, think about it. how many times have we as Bills fans been watching a game like, I don't know, New England when Kelvin Benjamin scores a touchdown and then they go to the booth and then they come back and they just say, hey, that's not a touchdown catch. And then it turns out later one of the officials on the field said, well, it's a touchdown catch. I don't know what happened. Now you get to see what happened. You get to see what goes on behind the scenes and what kind of decision-making goes into this process. Yeah, and you get to hear their thought process on, on it's what incredible. they think of the play. It's refreshing to watch. Another one of the things that I like about it is that if it gets the proper support, okay, first of all, it's not a c competitor. 
This is the one thing I think the AAF has going for it, is that it's not posturing itself like a competitor to the NFL. And that's it's a difference worth noting. The XFL tried to outdo the NFL. The USFL thought, hey, we can just throw as much money around as we, as we can and buy players from the NFL, and inevitably that'll get us enough popularity that we can be on the same page. They saw themselves as... You know, XFL tried to out-innovate the NFL. The USFL tried to outspend the NFL. Both of them failed. The AAF is taking a different track altogether, and they're talking about working sort of in lockstep. They want to get to a point where they can work in lockstep with the NFL. I mean, Chris, think about how their contracts are structured. Any one of these players, a, a, a guy who's playing right now that I'm a huge fan of, AJ, Ron Brooks. AJ Tarpley. Former Bills linebacker, most famously known for his interception of Ryan Fitzpatrick during the game where we started two practice squad linebackers and won the game and kept the Jets out of the playoffs. Huge. That was the downfall of Todd Bowles. That was the start of his just decline into mediocrity. To see him out there getting chances to play again. Guys like this, it, it's, it's good. For, I think it's good. Because it's taking guys who washed out of the NFL and giving them a chance to prove that, hey, maybe I've learned. Maybe I've matured. Because think about it, Chris. The fringe guys on the average NFL roster don't get many chances, do they? No. If you're not a top four draft pick, you don't have a lot of rope. So if you have two seasons where you don't do that well, you're out. You're ass out because they're going to find somebody younger than you. To It's like AAA baseball. They'll just cycle somebody else in younger than you because there's a never-ending supply of them. This is a way for guys like that to prove that they can still hone their skills and be something useful at the NFL level. Yeah, well, I, I mean, one of the positions that you're not going to get a whole a whole bunch of looks at outside of preseason would be the uh, the quarterback position. Man, no, but but even with that, Chris, it reminds me of NFL Europe. Okay, and for all of you out there who just said, "What the fuck is NFL Europe?" Just know that I hate you because it means that you're so young. Yeah. <laughs> you're so incredibly young. Just, I feel like uh, Billy Madison. I just want to grab your face. Be like, don't, don't ever change. Yeah, it's like the NFL, except <laughs> in it's in a different country and not as talented. No, but think about it. The, even NFL Europe, it was the first crack the NFL really took at a developmental league. And look at the talent that did inevitably come out of it. To say that there was none would be it would be doing a disrespect to the players who came out. Quarterbacks did come out of that league, Chris. John Kitna, Jake Delhomme, and Super Bowl winner Kurt Warner all spent time in NFL Europe. Pro Bowler and Super Bowl champ linebacker James Harrison. James Harrison was seen as a tweener who was too small to play D-line. Not big enough, you know, oh, well, you're, you're a big and you're kind of slow for a linebacker, but you're not too small to play defensive line. There's no place for you in the NFL. No? Oh, okay. James Harrison. That guy's a legend. He had to earn his chops somehow, but he proved that he had it. And he got a legit crack at the NFL, and he made it. Future Hall of Fame kicker Adam Vinatieri got his start in NFL Europe. And Bills fan favorite running back Fred Jackson. Fred Jackson played in NFL Europe for three years, Chris. Yeah, and then he got the, the chance from Marv Levy because they both went to co. <laughs> At the end of the day, 
if this league gets the support that it needs, it could very likely become a, an alternative feeder system, a way for guys who got their first crack at the NFL, or maybe even didn't get the first crack at all, to prove not only to work alongside NFL coaches. That's the thing I like about this league. NFL caliber coaches are the only people who are allowed to be hired as head coaches because they want to, they didn't do that in the XFL. They didn't do that in the USFL. They hired anybody who they thought would take the job. The AAF has come out and said that they want to protect the sanctity of what they're building by holding a standard. You have to have an NFL background in coaching in order to be considered a head coach for their league. Because they want to make sure that the guys who are signing up to play in it are getting the tutelage that they need to someday maybe get back into the NFL. What does this thing run? Eight, is eight weeks, right? Eight weeks. Eight weeks? Up that, to the draft. That seems kind of perfect because just before the draft is when you report for OTAs. So yes. it's good to be in that small window of February and March where we have no, we have no football and you're literally in your offseason – and you have a chance to show NFL teams what you're made of to get signed after the season and still make it to uh, OTAs relatively on time. Guys, if none of that is enough to get you to watch this thing, how about this? You get to watch Christian Hackenberg make the Jets franchise look even dumber for believing that he was worth a second-round pick. I mean, he, they, he started and he went into this game Bumping his gums all week about how, oh, wow, you know, we found a mechanical flaw in the way that I play and I've corrected it. And I think that my best football's ahead of me. His team lost 0 to 26. He got pulled after going 10 for 23 for 87 yards and had a pick. Actually, I'm not even mad. That's amazing. You're playing against guys who weren't even in organized football probably three, four weeks ago. I... How the fuck do you do that badly after being drafted in the second round? McCagnan, you have some explaining to do. I probably, like the I like the, re- the rest of our listeners, probably want to hit you in the knees with a lead pipe. Nobody says your team lost 0-26. to 26. You always go big score first, losing score second. Guess what? I want to punch you in the face right now. I'm on this side of the microphone, so I get to do what I want. I'm Captain Picard on this Enterprise. I run this ship. And folks, there is no telling how funny the Christian Hackenberg saga is going to get from here. That alone should be worth tuning in for. (laughs) All right. Onwards and upwards. We hit you guys with this week's Bill's News Update. The Bills are already tinkering in free agency by signing center Spencer Long. Does that mean Groy's gone? Please. Mercifully, <laughs> I believe so. Please. Last week, we talked and we outlined the fact that the Bills were going to be calculated and creative in the ways that they spent their cap space this season. Chris. Judicious. Judicious, to quote Bean himself. And that's in an attempt to ensure that they not only improve on-field production... But also, head into the tw- it, it works for them on two fronts. You head into the 2019 draft with flexibility, but they also have in the back of their minds that 2020, we still need to have some wiggle room because we have young guys coming up for contracts that we might want to keep around. Like, I don't know, so, so, some, some guy named Trey White. I don't know. Have you ever heard of him? Heard of him. I mean, I also 
heard that we should have had Reuben Foster, but I mean, that's, yeah. ne- that's neither here nor there. I can't imagine who would say such an asinine thing, Chris. I can't imagine. Damn it. Well, on Tuesday, the teams took a step towards that goal by announcing the signing of former New York Jets and Washington Redskins center, Spencer Long. Now, I'm not familiar with the player at all, or at least I wasn't until yesterday. But I did myself a service by going over to turn on the Jets' film room to check out the breakdown that friend of the show, podcaster and blogger Joe Blewett over at turnonthejets.com put together on Spencer Long last offseason when the Jets signed him to be their starting center. I learned a lot. And I, I'm, I, there's going to be a link in the description. I would urge you guys to go check it out. I mean, Joe does great work with these breakdowns because he he shows not just, hey, I'm a fan of this guy or my team just signed him, so I'm going to show you the positives. He does a pretty fair job of illustrating who the player is, who he can be. Strengths, what his, weaknesses. What his limitations are. And giving you a visual representation through clips of his play that you know you can kind of break down and watch for yourself. So with that said, after watching all, you know, taking all of this in, going to a couple other outlets and picking through some things, this is what I've come up with in terms of Spencer Long. And I don't know how to feel about it, Chris, and I've actually been looking forward to talking to you about it. First of all, one of the things he has going for him is that he blocks with a mean streak, okay? He has an understanding of how to get to the second level and lay hits on players with almost ill intent. You know what I mean? Like, he's a guy who, if he's not hitting somebody on every play, he's not happy. He's a willing hitter, which is something that Richie Incognito thrived in that role, of being a guard who would get out there and just bowl people over. And if he didn't have a block at the first level and he didn't have a block to make at the second level, he'd keep moving downfield looking for somebody to hit on every play. To me, the average fan, look, reading that... You know, we don't have a run game. We haven't had one in the last probably two seasons, legitimately. So reading that, okay, maybe you can help us in the run game. Now, you watch him play. I watched a lot of the clips. He has a solid base. Even when his mechanics broke down, his just strength allows him to still be functional as a pass blocker, which, as we watched Allen scramble for his life through the first part of the season, you know that that's going to be important. You know what I mean? His ability to hold the pocket together for that kid is a huge part of what this team needs. He has that, even when his mechanics break down, he still is a strong enough guy that he can just anchor down and at least delay without holding a nose tackle. You know, a lot of the footage on Turn on the, uh, Turn on the Jets article was going up against Fletcher Cox who happens to be one of the more dynamic interior defensive linemen in the NFL. Yeah, he's pretty good. So, I've heard of him. I've heard of him. Exactly. And if you know his name, then that's that says something right there. And I guess the other thing that I see is that he has an intelligence to him in terms of how blocks set up, how combination blocks work, how to move off of one block and hit a second block on the same play. That's how, he's he's got an aptitude for this thing as far as run blocking. And even in pass protection, if, if he doesn't have a man to block, he's going to immediately latch on to the guy that he thinks is the biggest threat and help overpower him. With that said, that's great when you're working just in the pivot as a center. Chris, when LaShawn McCoy was enjoying his best seasons here with Buffalo, what was one thing that we just kind of noticed again and again and again? 
throughout the course of film breakdowns, throughout the course of statistical review. This game thrived when the running backs got to the edge of the defense. There was a lot of just design counters, a lot of sweeps, a lot of plays that involved pulling centers and pulling guards. And that was great because Richie Incognito and uh, Eric Wood had the athleticism to do that. Right? Yeah. I think I still have a video on my phone of Rich against Tampa two years ago, Richie getting injured, and then they had to insert Deion Dawkins at guard. And he just he just pancaked somebody. <laughs> pulled pulled around to the left side, pancaked somebody, and I think McCoy picked up a first down. So that was when our that was when we were paving the way for McCoy. The problem with a guy like Long is that when you watch him play, slow hips and slow feet are the name of the game with him. You watch him. There's a couple clips in this breakdown that show him. I mean, it's like he's in Chris. It's like he's trying to run on the beach. That's how much slower he looks than everybody else around him. Or like you trying to run on actual ground. Oh, you scumbag. Ultimately, when you watch him, what you see is a guy who's very powerful. When you have him operating in a short space, his flaws start to begin. I mean, he doesn't have top flight lateral speed. He's going to struggle if you ask him to block anything more than forward, which is kind of to the detriment of the skill set of our running backs. And Chris, not for nothing, significant injury here. His history with injuries cannot be understated. And he can't, last, last season, if you ask any Jets fan out there, he had an ankle injury, but tried to play through it all season and just couldn't. He couldn't anchor. He couldn't do anything properly. He was a liability for them for a large part of the season. How much does he weigh? I mean, it's, you're putting all that weight on that ankle. You just got to sit out a couple of, sit out a month. They kept starting him. And he couldn't play through the injury. Well, that's why Todd Bowles don't have a job. He's missed one game, at least one game in every single season of his career. He's missed 10. He missed 10 games in his last season with Washington. And then got hurt early on in the year with New York. So he's probably two years removed from his best football. Now, maybe he's healthy. Maybe he comes in here and he shows us a little bit of upside. Maybe he, maybe this team coaches him up. I don't know. I don't know what to expect, but here's, when you take all this into account, Chris, what you get, I mean, I've seen all kinds of reactions on social media from Bills fans. You've got people who think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread that we got to steal. You got the people who are just, just incensed by it. The ones who think that this is, this is such a stupid move. He's been injured for two years. He's going to continue to be injured. Yes. And then you've got people who just don't give a shit. And I don't know where to fall along that spectrum. I really don't. I mean, I'm because he's our, got upside, but banking on him to provide you anything significant, that's a kind of a dicey proposition. Well, because he because our offensive line has been so bad, I kind of immediately loop him into somebody that has a chance to start. Okay, but with that said, now we just talked about this last week on our show, talking about offensive free agency. We underscored the fact that we spent $12 million on our entire offensive line last year. That's not not NFL standard. Yeah, and what is he making now? Well, now he's making a three-year deal worth an average. I don't know the exact breakdowns yet because Spotrac doesn't have them. But 
It's a three-year, $13 million deal, which averages out to about $4 million a year, you know, upwards of that. For a player who might only have the upside of a backup swing tackle guard, he could be your primary backup, and that's fine. If his job is to come in here and take Vlad Dukas' spot as your primary backup. I'll take you as that's f- <laughs> replacing Dukas. And this is my point, though. You're paying $4 million for this guy. And what I see here when I see this is a, the team hedging their bets. You know, some people will tell you this is a smart move. Hey, we're going to hedge our bets. We're going to get a guy with the upside of a starter who may not have to start if other things in free agency and in the draft fall our way. That's all well and good, but you're spending $4 million a year on that guy. Groy cost you two. Russ Bodine was costing you $2 million a year. But don't you have to overpay a little bit to get people to play in Buffalo? Is that, is that not an accurate statement? It is, but damn it. I mean, I'd like to think that at this juncture, you maybe didn't have to make that move. I don't think people were banging on the door. No one was beating down Spencer Long's door, which means the team targeted him. They wanted this guy. I just, I, I, I don't know why. Exactly. I mean, again, there are smarter people than me over there running one bills, uh, running the show at One Bills Drive. Yeah, and the plus, well, plus free agency don't start for I think uh, literally a month from today. Free agency starts, so we're gonna have more signings. And the, Chris, the way if I could sum this up with an analogy, the way I view this signing is literally like, okay, I'm you, okay? I've got my stupid mohawk. I've got a dad bod. I'm working out, though, and I think I'm going to get in good enough shape that by March, I'm going to be able to go out there and start asking out sevens. You know, I'm going to be able to go out there and start maybe, well, no, for you, let's dial it back a second. I'm going to have the self-esteem where I can maybe talk to, you know, a woman, regardless, a woman point blank and period. Well, you said a seven. Are we talking like a standard (laughs) seven, a buffalo seven? Buffalo seven. Buffalo seven. But just on the side, I'm going to line up like five Tinder dates just in case. I'm going to get some Tinder dates going just in case. Just in case I fail miserably at this one vital part of my offense that I need to rebuild, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get me a Spencer Long on the back end. Just in case I have to fall back on it. I don't I don't know why, but that just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. It does. What do you think? As a casual fan, what is your take on that Looking through it, looking through that lens at this whole situation, the fact that they're signing, I mean, because he got cut by the Jets, so you can sign him before free agency, because he got cut, right? That's right. That's why we're able to sign him. Okay, Chris, if you watch a girl get dumped at a bar, you could pick her up right there. You know she's available. I mean, <laughs> but I wouldn't. But but maybe because he got like cut by the Jets, we could immediately sign him. So obviously they're not happy with either Groy or Bodine. One of those guys has to get cut. There's no way you carry three centers. <laughs> well, Groy's a free agent. Okay. Well, there. They're, Bodine they is still under him, contract. They signed him to not re-sign Groy. There we go. We figured it out. <laughs> Didn't take long. <laughs> so I'm the smartest one on the show. Figured it out like that. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I mean, I guess if nothing else, it is an insurance policy, but I don't know if I like it. I don't know if I like it. 
Chris, there's a lot not to like about this time of year, though. I mean, teams are remaking their rosters. They're going to do things that ruffle everybody's feathers. Last week, we spent a lot of time on the podcast talking about how the team... I mean, not just... Here's the... Folks, for those of you who aren't familiar with our show on a a year-to-year basis, I'm not the guy who will sit here and tell you, hey, I'm not going to talk to you about... Well, here's a bunch of names I want you, I want the team to sign. And I'm going to take the big names. I'm going to talk. I mean, I just feel like there's a lot of lazy, uh, there's a lot of lazy conversation around free agency itself. But you have been pretty good in recent history with free agents that we signed. I have been. You've been, but not the draft. That's why we get people on for the draft. <laughs> but free agency, you've been surprisingly good at the Bills should target said player. Here's why, and then they perform. Well, and here's what, but, but here's why. Because I'm a fan of breaking down the philosophy of free agency. What does your team want to be? How does it want to get to its inevitable goal with what it has at its disposal? This is this has probably been the most exciting offseason for that that I've seen in the last four, five, six years, Chris. Because we have so much money. Because we finally have money to spend. But with that said, the GM says he's not going to be just, hey, I'm going big game hunting. Judicious. And I like that, which makes this that much more interesting because it makes you work a little if you're sitting in my chair right now. So with that, last week we did a deep dive on offensive free agency philosophy. We named some players we like, but we talked about the entire roster on that side of the ball and how you know, trends in the NFL from last season and seasons previous could kind of factor into the philosophy of how you build a roster going forward. We're going to do the same thing this week on the defensive side of the ball. Again, just for those of you who are coming into this uh, new to it, cap situation. As of today, the Bills have 70, well, now that they've assigned, I mean, again, the numbers aren't, I don't know, the cap hits annually for Spencer Long. So before that signing, 78 million. $84 $84 million with what we believe to be the impending cuts of Charles Clay and Vlad Dukas. And once you factor in the, the inevitable increase in the salary cap, we're going to have around $91 million in total cap space. Okay? So when I look at trends from 2018 that might help shape what, the, what teams do or how teams view free agency in 2019, first and foremost, I'd like to underscore one thing. Spending on defensive players especially. You know, last week we talked a lot about wide receivers and how opening the checkbook for them hasn't panned out for a lot of teams. You kind of run into the same thing on defense when it came to last year's squads. The top 10 teams in spending in the NFL, okay? Five of them, as far as the top 10 in capped space percentage allocated to the defense, made the playoffs. Every single one of those teams won their division, Chris. Okay? One NFC team, the Rams. Super Bowl. All four AFC East, oh, AFC East, AFC winners were in the top 10 in spending on defense. That's the Kansas City Chiefs, the Ravens, New England, and Houston. Okay? Only three of those top 10 teams in uh, cap spending actually finished in the top 10 for total defense, though. Only three, Chris. So what that means is that out of the 10 teams who spent the most money in the NFL on their defense last year, 
Only three of them finished with good defenses. See, I'm, I'm of the mindset of being a hockey guy that big spending and free agency doesn't necessarily work. Because right now, if you look at the Sabres, you see that in Oposo. Mm-hmm. He's making a ton of money, and he's not producing what he should. And I think that translates to the NFL offense and defensive side of the ball. Well, look at that in terms of the trend of defensive back spending in the NFL. Chris, I mean, that's a valid point. The Bills were the number one passing defense as far as yard, yards per game in 2018. But they ranked 20th in spending on defensive backs. Okay? Four teams that spent top 10 money for their secondary finished in the NFL's bottom 10. Bottom 10! New England, Atlanta, the New York Jets, and the Houston Texans. And two of those teams made the playoffs. And, of course, New England's pass defense shows up in the Super Bowl. But they spent a ton. And that's it. So, okay, so you got to the Super Bowl and your, your, your secondary showed up. But for 16 weeks during the regular season, you spent millions and got what is a mediocre to terrible return on your investment. And that's what free agency is all about. It's measuring return on investment. And that can't be stated enough. I mean, for as, it, it doesn't matter what position across the defense, there's corollaries to be found here in regards to how skill position gets, different skill positions get paid and how overinvestment on defense can come back to bite any team in football in the ass. The most recent example I can give anybody here, the Jacksonville Jaguars. 2017 offseason. 2016, the the Jaguars go 3-13. They draft Leonard Fournette high in the draft. Okay, They load up on draft picks. They draft players. They bring in all this stuff. And then they go out and go on a spending spree. Okay? Spending spree in the offseason. They bring in, you know, A.J. Bowie at cornerback. They bring in Calais Campbell on the defensive line. They bring in a bunch of players, including the guy that we talked about in their show's open. They bring in all of these new free agents that they think are going to, hey, we're going to build a machine here. And combined with those premium draft picks, they took the Jaguars from a 3-13 and season to 10-6 and and were literally just one fumble blown dead away from going to a Super Bowl, Chris. A Super Bowl! But they fell short. Okay? And they did that while being one of the healthiest teams in football. Fast forward to 2018. With all the money that they threw around the previous season, they had nothing to work with last year. They had no way to restock the depth that they had lost. So when injuries happen, because you can't go two seasons being the healthiest team in football, all of their flaws got exposed and they fell to 5-11. and 11. And heading into 2019, they actually have to lose $6 million in cap space just to get under the cap. They are $6 million over. And everybody knows Blake Bortles is living on borrowed time. Right, Chris? 100%. Okay. So cutting him. They are going to absorb one of the biggest dead money hits of all time 
It might be the biggest dead money allotment for a single player in NFL history if they if they do in fact cut quarterback Blake Bortles and go a different direction in the draft. With that said, <laughs> if they cut him, that'll trigger an additional five million dollars of dead money being thrown on top of their books. Once they, regardless of what other offsetting moves, you know, when you offset the cash that he's set to make. The cash he counts towards their cap because of his new contract versus the dead money, they're going to move to $11 million over the cap. That's, that's before free agency. That's before it starts, Chris. I mean, you, you're talking about a football team that will be coming off a 5-11 season that doesn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. And a head coach whose only answer to his team's struggles is to throw everyone around him under the bus and wolf down baloney at a rate never before seen by man. Wow! My mom's the only other woman I've ever known who could take a sandwich like that. Chris, that's not a place I want to see the Buffalo Bills. Ever. Not Ever. No, somebody's got to get a Coughlin there, a calculator. He's in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and that's the thing. Everyone's told me for the last few years, when you hire a football president, well, you need a pres. The Bills need a president of football operations because they need a football guy in the building who's going to oversee. Who oversaw this shit? Who was the person who co-signed this? Because they should be fired too. Whoever allowed the GM of this team, whether it was Coughlin whether it was whoever their GM is. I don't know his name because all I ever hear is Coughlin. Whoever, is, whoever agreed a few years ago to sell out and go all in on a one-year Super Bowl and set your team up for failure, they should be, they should be fired too. And it's things like this that when I look at it and then I hear people yell at me about how the Bills screwed up by not having a football guy running everything like a president. I shrug and I say, you know what? Dumb franchises are going to do what dumb franchises are going to do. I can't. You can't stop it, no matter how many people, no matter how many people get involved and how many cooks you put in the kitchen. With that said, I look at the Bills defensively entering free agency, and I you have to love where we are, Chris. I don't know. Like, I know we need to do this for the sake of just in case we sign somebody on defense, but like, I don't really know. Like, are we going to sign somebody on defense? We seem so stacked Folks, at just, certain areas. Just to run this back for you before we break down, before we go over a positional overview. Here's a breakdown. The Bills have 21 defensive players under contract already. Going into the, going into the next league year, they're already here, they're already under contract. In that group, we have three starting linebackers. In Lorenzo, we have Trey Edmonds, and we have Matt Milano. We have two starting safeties in Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. Two of our three starting cornerbacks. We have Trey White. We have Teron Johnson. And we might have three if you guys think that Levi Wallace, based on his just top-shelf performance down the stretch last year, deserves first shot at the gig. And we have two starting defensive ends and one starting defensive tackle. I think the thing that should impress Bills fans the most, and it underscores the way that this team has been constructed, is that with as many returning pieces to that starting 11 that we already have here in place, those 21 players make up just $61 million worth of cap space. That ranks us 26th in the NFL in spending right now. We're near the basement of the league in defensive spending, 
And we already have two-thirds of our starters in place. Weren't we a top top five total defense last year? Nah, total defense struggled because our run defense was shit. But our pass defense was best in the NFL. There we go. So you've already got a leg up on a lot of your competition, but you're 26th in the league in spending on your defense. Tell me that doesn't make... I'm pitching a half stack just talking about it. My God. I gotta open a fresh beer. So with that, Chris, we dip into the positions that kind of make up the Buffalo Bills defensive roster. And I like where we're at position by position. There's only a few spots I have for concern. But we're going to start with linebacker. At the linebacker position, in 2019, we already have a cap allocation of $9.4 million. When you look at what we have on the books, the Bills are in great shape here. Specifically, and that goes back to last year's draft. I mean, yes, a lot of that banks on Matt Milano coming back from his injury. That was so gross. But given the nature of the injury, I mean, it was a broken fibula. Yeah, it was disgusting to see. A lot of players come, it wasn't a ligament, you know, it wasn't a knee. There was no ligament damage involved. It was just a structural thing. So he's not going to have any joint pain. He's not going to have any problem cutting and doing things that a linebacker has to do. There's not going to be any issue. Or at least there shouldn't be. I shouldn't say there's not because who friggin' knows. But with that said, linebackers with similar injuries don't have a, there's no high percentage of noticeable decline. So where we sit right now, you have to like this. I mean, we've got, when you look at the linebackers, when we go into a nickel formation, Chris, which defense is more and more. You look at teams like the Rams, like the Chiefs, the way teams, how many how many teams, Chris, this offseason crowed about how they went out and got a young, offensive-minded head coach? You know what a lot of those systems are based off of? John McVay. A lot of multiple wide receiver sets, a lot of spread concepts that come from college. You know how you fight that? Nickel and dime defense. Yes. Many, so, so go out in free agency and get yourself a Nickel Roby Coleman to blow people up. <laughs> What you're looking at here is a team that has two interior linebackers who are, are have flashed the potential to be impact players at the NFL level, who are both under contract for at least two more years, minimum, who have performed at high levels compared to what we've seen in the last decade. And they're here, and they're cheap. What, $3.61 million between the two of them, Chris? That's fucking incredible. Yeah, you gotta you gotta capitalize on that why you aren't paying them money. And then you throw in the the presence of Lorenzo Alexander to kind of be that elder statesman in the room. He's a, he's a presence at the line of scrimmage. He helps in the run game. He gives you a little pass rush. And you've got a couple just depth players, special teamers behind him. So your room is pretty well fleshed out with veteran status. You've got the You've got the young guys who are going to be your starters and are potentially the future of the linebacking core of this team. And you've got depth. You can't ask for anything else for $9 million. I mean, genuinely, I think that they have the ability, just with what they have on hand, to field a pretty productive unit next season. I mean, you're talking about the growth of the young players that are already on it. Obviously, Lorenzo's not getting any younger, but... Well, it's his last season. He's already said that. Yeah. So at the end of the day, 
you're still not in a, you're not in terrible shape at all when it comes to linebacker going into next year. Another position that's probably the ba- and I would say the backbone of this team going into next year for defense, the cornerbacks and the safeties. For 2019, between the two positions, we have $18.8 million allocated to feeding everybody. A lot like the linebacker, this position underscores the way that the team is being built. Okay, Something that people who love cap talk, there's just, I mean, you can't not have a hard on for this. You look back at those championship Seattle Seahawks teams, Chris. I'm not saying that we're on par with that, but I look at the philosophy that they were built under. We have a rookie quarterback who's young and he's learning. We have to hit on linebackers and we have to hit on secondary players. We have to find Richard Sherman's. We have to find young guys who are relatively cheap. Safeties like Cam Chancellor and, uh, oh, Jesus, what's his name? Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas. We have to find these guys. We have to go out and get them while they're young and cheap, and win inside of that window before we start paying them. Well, right now, we're doing a great job of stacking cheap secondary talent. I mean, we talk about it almost weekly, but Hyde and Poyer are grossly underpaid for their performance. When you look at some of the guys like Eric Berry are in the top 50. Okay, Eric Berry is not a terrible safety, but he's in the top 50 for all NFL players. And at the same time, I don't know the production he gives the Chiefs, but I'll tell you this, I'd argue ours are better. They're younger, they're more physical, they don't have the injury history that he does. And yet, he's making their salaries combined. And Chris, what do you even, what do you say to that? I mean, I look at our cornerbacks, the fact that we have Trey White, Teron Johnson, and Levi Wallace all on... Uh, rookie deals, but what Levi Wallace is, what, uh, he was unsigned, undrafted. Undrafted free agent. Undrafted free agent. I mean, I would say of any position on the football field, you can never have enough corners. But the fact that we got what seems to be three legitimate starters. And the thing is, it couldn't come at a better time because when you think about what free agency is going to be this year, this is a shallow class in free agency. I mean, Ron Darby, former Buffalo Bill, he is the top. We traded him away. He is the top cornerback available on the free agent. Behind him is a guy named Darkies Dennard. I know. I just collectively heard you all go, who the fuck is that? <laughs> what? He's, he, the only reason I know him is because he's the guy who, who intercepted Joe Flacco during the, Bills, during the Bengals game that sent us to the playoffs while I was taking a piss. That was the game that convinced me that I had to stay in the bathroom. Oh, yeah, I, mean, I remember that. That was the play. I was like, holy shit, I went to take a piss. Dennard picked him off. Dennard never picks anybody off. And you had to stay in the bathroom. And, and I stayed in the bathroom. And you didn't have your phone either, so <laughs> it was extra worse. This, this class is a mishmash of aged players with up-and-down seasons in free agency at the defensive back position. So the Bills have been smart to mold this group. And it's a kudos to the coaching of Frazier and McDermott that they can find these guys and just coach them up into their schemes. I feel like if you're going to sign a cornerback in free agency, it's literally a depth signing at this point. Oh, well, that's and that's exactly it. That's all you should be trying to accomplish at this position. Because anything else, 
I mean, that's just overkill. That's just overkill and unnecessary spending. But I like the way that we're currently constructed. And I like the way that this comes at a time when the free agent market is not primed to help out a team who's looking for a free agent cornerback. I mean, think about it. The Patriots might have landed the last quote-unquote big fish at cornerback in free agency without having to trade away anything. The last completely unrestricted free agent signing that was a big splash that made a difference was probably Stephon Gilmore. Outside of him, the last two years, there hasn't been a whole lot of traction. So this comes at a good time for the Bills, and we really are set up nicely. Now we got to talk about a a position I'm less than comfortable with. Defensive tackle. 2019, we already have $13.6 million allocated towards our cap. And a lot of that comes from one player. The strength of the defense last season was obviously in its abilities to stop teams from passing the ball on us with consistency. Okay? But we did not... I mean, we were... We were terrible in the trenches, Chris. I shouldn't say terrible, but we finished with the 16th best rushing defense, and we were 26th in sacks. But we still spent $32 million on the defensive line and in our our front seven, I guess, essentially. The average that teams spend at the defensive tackle position was just $9.5 million, and we spent $13.7 with Kyle Williams and with Starlo Tulele and with Jordan Phillips. And that didn't get the job done. We weren't stout against the run. We didn't do well in the trenches against most offensive lines. We struggled a lot. And that's why we had a lot of close games against teams that ran the football and against teams that passed the ball short and then could get blockers out in space onto our linebackers. They crucified us. Chris, the Ravens game. The Ravens game, I mean, what, the first five games of the season, I remember last year, we just again and again and again pounding the table, talking about how nobody's testing our safeties now that they know that they're both Pro Bowl caliber guys back there. And instead, they're they're dinking and dunking in front of young linebackers, knowing that their offensive linemen are going to beat our defensive linemen out into space and provide blocking. That's it. And that's how teams crucified us early in the season. It was frustrating to watch. I'm looking at this defensive tackle group, and I'm just saying, you you paid a lot of money, and what did you get for your return as far as holding up an offensive line? We got painfully mediocre results last year, and we've already spent the same amount, Chris, that we spent last year when we had Kyle Williams on the roster. Except right now, we only have one bona fide quote-unquote starter, and that's Star Latulule. I thought you were going to say Harrison Phillips. And he's good for what? Two downs? He's sure. good against he's good. He's a space eater who can take up blockers against the run. He's not a dominant interior presence against the pass. He brings you nothing in terms of pass rush. But we've spent the same amount of money as we did last year. Already. This is, I, based on what I've read on the draft, it seems like the draft is where you should take a defensive tackle and not in free agency. But then again, I don't know much about the offseason of football. I mean, I mean well, is, that, is that is that not a fair statement? It, well, that's a que- and that's a question. That's a fair question you could ask because I mean, there's a couple different approaches to this. 
the, this draft is rich in defensive tackle prospects. Cheap, cost-controlled assets with a lot of upside. You could also look, if you did want to dabble in free agency, there are a number of veterans to go out and get on one- or two-year deals so that existing developmental prospects still have time to grow inside your system and you're not tied to them long-term. I mean, ultimately, regardless of how you want to approach this, this is one of the biggest areas of need for the Buffalo Bills heading into the free agency period on the defensive side of the ball. And the problem is, is that, yes, you can go into the draft. That's the most cost-effective way to do it. Just to say, hey, the draft will solve all my problems. Look at Sheldon Rankins. I know, Chris, you don't know who I'm talking about because you... No, when you say Sheldon, I was like, Richardson? <laughs> At least you know somebody. At least you know names. See, you're coming around to this, Chris. I love it. Cheers. At least I know a Sheldon. I didn't say, oh, Sheldon, Big Bang Theory. So Sheldon Rankins, took. he was taken in the first round by the New Orleans Saints. He got hurt this year in the playoffs, and they say that that's part of their whole loss to the Rams, whatever. At the end of the day, it took Rankins three years to finally become an impact player. So, But he was... Thought of very highly coming into the draft where he was taken. So there's no guarantees that these players that you take to play in the trenches for you, your big uglies, they're big physical kids, but most of them are in their early 20s. They're not ready yet to go up against 27, 28, 29-year-old career centers in the NFL. It will take them a while to acclimate, or at least it takes a lot of them time to get there. Even some of the recent success stories, Fletcher Cox. It took him a while to really become the Fletcher Cox that is now a household name. Gerald McCoy. Gerald McCoy was not what he is now when he first came out of college. He was good, but he wasn't great. So saying that, oh, a first-round draft pick on defensive tackle is going to fix this and it's going to fix it cheap, that's not a guarantee. And that's not for a team that has such a gaping hole in the middle of its defense. I don't think that's a smart way to approach this, Chris. And so that brings us to the the last position on the defensive line. Defensive end. Chris, you probably still remember. Did you even did you live here at the time? The last time that the Bills dug deep and went into free agency and went and got the biggest fish in the pond at defensive end in Mario Williams? Did you even live here then? I had just moved here my first off-season, and I was working for a company installing ATMs and loading the doing the bank software portion of it, and I specifically rem- – this will always stay with me. I specifically remember still having T-Mobile was my cell phone carrier. That's what I had in Atlanta. T-Mobile only worked literally in Buffalo, in Rochester, in Syracuse, in Albany. It was a Thursday. I was driving back from Albany doing a bunch of uh, installs at a bank in Albany, and I was trying to listen to GR on my phone, and I got out of Albany <laughs> into Schenectady, and it just went to 3G, and I I, I didn't have the bandwidth to, to listen to GR live. And I'm like, so mad. I'm like driving. I'm like, pedal. If I get to Syracuse, maybe I can hear something. Like pedal to the metal, and plus it was plus it was nice outside. I remember that. Oh, we better sign him. We better yeah, we better lie to him. Like oh yeah, it's like this all all the time in March. I was working for M and T Bank at the time, and we were in a meeting regarding bank wide security. 
Just talk. One of the guys who worked in bank security for for M and T is a former Secret Service agent, and he's telling us all about. His whole thing was turn your cell phones off when you come in the room, deposit them in this box, you'll get them back at the end of the meeting. I don't want anything to leave this room. He was very, he seemed like a guy who worked for the Secret Service. Like, you walked in, you're like, Jesus, what's this guy's problem? And then his phone goes off in the middle of the meeting, and he looks around and goes, I don't know if this means anything to to any of you, but apparently the Bills just signed someone named Mario Williams. And my boss and I, who were in the meeting together, just high-fived. Like one of those 80s TV show, like jump and high five with your heels in the air. Like it was, it was a moment. Like Bill and Ted, excellent adventure. Exactly. High five. And it didn't pan out the way we thought it would. And it did leave us holding the bag <laughs> in a lot of different ways. So with that said, I look at where we are today at defensive end. 2019, we already have $22.7 million allocated towards the defensive end position. Now, when I take a look over the philosophy of what it takes to sign different positions, last week we talked about how pretty much all free agent wide receivers got overpaid for their production. Only three wide receivers who switched teams last year hit 1,000 yards. Whether it was trade, whether it was free agency, it didn't matter. None of them performed and a lot of them made millions of dollars. Defensive ends fall into the same category, Chris. I took a look over the top 51 contracts in terms of total cap hit for next season. Eight defensive ends and pass rushing outside linebackers. Okay, Now that's counting number 51, J.J. Watt. That's why I expanded the list. There was five defensive backs between safeties and cornerbacks and just one stand-up interior linebacker, and that's Luke Keekley from the Carolina Panthers. There's a reason for this, Chris. Game changers at the defensive end position don't ever get to see free agency. The ones who truly are franchise-changing talents never make it to unrestricted free agency. Think about this. Khalil Mack. The Khalil Mack situation is a perfect way to frame this conversation. When you are a premier talent, you are a franchise-changing pass rusher don't you have value. You can't let go of that. No, but here's the thing. If you don't want it, it carries so much value now. That looking back at it, the Houston Texans were stupid for ever letting Mario Williams hit the free agent market. They should have traded him before the deadline. That's what any smart franchise would have done. Okay? Now GMs seem to be much more active in the trade market. I mean, we've seen it with our own GM. Brandon Bean... That guy's a riverboat gambler. He doesn't give a shit. He he moves and wheels and deals. He doesn't care. That's become kind of a norm now. Whereas before the trade NFL trade deadline, Chris, compared by comparison to the hockey trade deadline, teams in hockey are constantly churning their rosters if they get the opportunity. In football, it's rare. Yeah, in hockey, in, at least when I was in college, I would literally make sure I had no class or was not working trade deadline day, and I would sit in front of the TV for nine hours and watch watch that. You don't get to do that with the NFL. No, because there's no reason. Because most of the time, there's nothing happening. But now GMs have smartened up and they've realized franchise-changing pass rushers don't grow on trees. And when they do, they have so much value that we can get richer just by letting them go. Look at what the Bears gave up 
to get Khalil Mack. He is going to be one of the highest paid players in football next year. Okay, top 25 in pay. And they gave up premium draft picks to get him. That's what it takes now to get truly franchise-changing players. Otherwise, I mean, you, what are you doing? You're buying, you're spending a ton of money on also rants. These are guys that their franchises are letting go because they know nobody else wants them. Or at least nobody wants to give them anything for them. Which means they're not worth that much. I'm happy the Bills didn't make a move for Khalil Mack. I shouted it down on this podcast and I'll say it again. It was a stupid decision. I think the Bears made a stupid decision because in four years when they need to sign rookies and they've got this three years, we'll call it. And they've well, got this it money comes, on their books. It comes down to when or when, however long his max contract is and when they have to sign uh, Trubisky. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. And so with that said, when you look at the Bills and the way our roster is constructed and our needs, that was the last thing this team needed. And I'm happy. we I stick by my – we didn't need that. But that being said, the defensive end position, there's just not a lot out there. There's not, or at least not anything that I'm interested in. So when you look at what we have, we have a starter in Jerry Hughes, and then we have a rotation going on at the uh, left defensive end position between Shaq Lawson, Trent Murphy. Neither one, they're both under contract still. Neither one really, I mean, you saw Shaq Lawson start to come on at the end of last season. Maybe he endeared himself enough to the coaching staff that they're going to give him another run at becoming a starter. I don't know. Trent Murphy, maybe they're hoping that another year removed from the knee injury. Now that he's confident, now that he's confident that his knee's right, maybe he'll be a little bit more aggressive. Maybe they'll get what they paid for in him in the first place. But at the end of the day, we already have three guys under contract who are good enough. I mean, we, we made it through last season with them. Yes, we didn't see the sack numbers we thought we would. But when you look at the draft and the way everything's coming up, Chris, I just can't fathom spending a ton of money at that position. I can't. We have three guys already who can play at an NFL level. Yeah, they're all decent enough, and you still got Shaq Lawson on his on his rookie deal. So I mean I'm not I'm not a fan of, of spending money at that position right now. If you did it would have to be for depth. And so that brings me to where I I mean, you look at the marketplace itself and guys that we think make for good free agent target targets for the Buffalo Bills. First of all, this draft makes the defensive marketplace just weird. Weird. First time I've seen it in a long time because this is, the, I think, the first time in a few years where the draft is so heavy at the top with top-flight defensive talent. I mean, there's a strong class of interior pass rushers and run defenders at the defensive tackle spot. Defensive ends are going to be plentiful in the first three rounds. And there's going to be a whole boatload of developmental linebackers out there. I mean, think about it. We got Matt Milano in the fifth round. He's rounding into form as a decent linebacker. Yeah, you hated that pick. I hated the pick. And look <laughs> at him Look at him now. There's going to be a lot of developmental linebacker talent in this draft, too. So front seven needy teams are going to be looking around saying, well, I don't know if we can bid with everybody in the market, but this draft is this draft is chock full of it. So if I'm cap-strapped, it doesn't matter because I can fix my problems. 
I don't have to get creative. I can fix my problems in the draft. Meanwhile, the teams that think they're just that one player away, you know, they may go out there and go all in on some of these big-name players that make up these defensive positions. You don't want to get into a bidding war, Chris. Not like that. No, I don't want the Bills to get in a bidding war on anybody on defense. No. So with that said, I mean, I, like I said earlier in the show, I don't want to be the guy who comes out here and just talks about all the, you know, here's the big names that are on the market that I, no, because it's lazy. I'm sorry. It's lazy. It's horseshit. I've seen enough blogs and nonsense, bullshit, clickbait, just going around out there on the internet. I want to bring you what I think. With my research and my knowledge of football, these are the guys I think, not that we're going to sign them, but I think if they wanted to, the philosophy of how we're building this team fits. And I, th- I think it's right. And I want to start off with players that I have zero interest in. Who's this man? This list starts with every single one of the defensive ends in free agency who are 27 years or older. Okay? You've got Ezekiel Anza out there at 30 years old. Who? Who? I seem to remember. Was he a top 10 pick? Yes. Hilariously enough, you've got a guy named Derek Shelby who's out there at 30. You've got, Christ, uh, Michael Johnson of the Bengals. He's out there 32 years old. Vinny Curry, 31, and Coney Ely. These are just some examples of names that are getting floated around out there. Wow, their past production and this, that, the other. They're old. They're slow. There's a reason that their teams are willing to let them hit unrestricted free agency. Chris, am, am I wrong? No. I, Every one of these guys I, has an injury history. Yeah, I think it. it uh, the Bills should be wise to go younger on defense. If you're going to spend any kind of free agency draft capital on defense, I'd save it for the draft. Thank you. And that's it. When you look at the way we're constructed now and what we already have on the books, what? You've got four defensive ends. You've got a guy named Mike Love. No disrespect to Mike Love, but you've got three, two rotational guys and a legit starter in the NFL ahead of you on the depth chart. This team could add an impact player for cheap in the draft. Why would you throw significant money? I mean, anything more than... One or two, three million dollars, and any one of these guys over the age of 27 who's proven that A, they're not a franchise changing talent, B, they all have an injury history. Every one of them, I've gone down the list. You can't find me one that hasn't missed time. Chris, this is like garbage picking, okay? That's what this defensive end class is it's sifting around for gold in a landmine, uh, landmine, a landfill, and I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Next on the list, cornerback Jason Verrett. Nothing against the guy. When he's healthy, he's a Pro Bowl talent. He's never healthy. He's EJ Gaines on steroids. The guy's played eight games in the last three years. No, no, I don't want that. Get that away from my team, please. Thank you. Thank you, sir. But I've already seen the idea floating around on the internet. It's just, it's, it's a waste of breath. And I don't know. The kilobytes it took to post that. Then, last week, Nate Geary was all about bringing in a certain defensive end from the New England Patriots by the name of Trey Flowers. All about the idea. He crowed about how 
This guy would be, you'd be weakening your opponent. You'd be strengthening your own team. I'd like to say that I, I differ in opinion, sir. I look at this guy and I say, okay, he's a defensive end linebacker hybrid. So he's a tweener. So he's already got a knock against him. You're not big enough to really be a true hand-in-the-dirt defensive end. You're too big to be an outside linebacker just out there in space. You've already got that working against you. When I look at the New England Patriots, and I think about defensive ends, and I think about defensive players, really, in general, who leave the Patriots and go to other franchises. Chris, Richard Seymour. He'll, he'll go down in history as one of the greatest Patriots probably of that era. He, I am very, Mike Vrabel. I'm very confident that New England got a first-round pick for him. I agree. They got a, I, think, I believe, if my memory serves me, they got a first-round pick from the Raiders. Yeah, they traded him to the Raiders and got a first-round pick. And then Mike Vrabel coming off, all, again, another long-standing positive career with the Patriots. Went to the Chiefs. You know what the two of them have in common? They did absolutely dick when they left the Patriots. Do you want to know why? Bill Belichick makes water out of wine when it comes to the defense. We saw it in this last Super Bowl. The man literally, I mean, you think back to the Super Bowl with the Bills versus the Giants. When you need it, he is, he is probably going to go down as one of the best head coaches of all time. But I'd argue he should also get the moniker of best defensive head, defensive coordinator of all time. Chris, would that be a stretch? No, not at all. And for sure, it was a first-round pick from the Raiders. Okay. Just so, Googled it. So with that said, when you're talking about a guy who's 26 years old, who's only ever been used in this specific... You know, th this defense is unorthodox. You never know what it's going to be. I, I've often referred to it as a, the Spartan phalanx. You know what I mean? It, it changes shape, but it's always there. And it's always... you know When they need it to be impervious, it becomes impervious. Except for, I don't know, the Super Bowl against the Eagles. <laughs> Doug Peterson and Nick Foles were the only two who found a way to just completely blow the defense off the map. But with that said, they changed the shape and the style and from week to week to week of what their defense is. I don't know that this guy, Trey Flowers, fits anywhere in the NFL at what he, to match up with his production. When he, as soon as he leaves Bill Belichick's tutelage, I don't know what his value is, but I know what he's going to be paid. Spotrack is Spotrack.com. For those of you who are new to this, they're a website that evaluates cap hits. They give they keep cap history. They track all this stuff for you. Go check it out. They're already estimating that his annual salary is going to fall between 14 and 15 million dollars a year on the free agent market. Oh uh, yeah, no, thank you. What did we just get done saying about franchise changing pass rush talents? They don't get to leave. If he's hitting the market, you'd be stupid to pay him $15 million because it means that Bilicek knows something you don't. On the flip side of that, there are a lot of players out there on the market that I think could make this team better and could really help us going forward into the draft. And the first starts with the guy that you heard about in the intro, defensive tackle Malik Jackson. Drew, you're obviously drunk. He's not a free agent. 
I get it. That's probably what a bunch of people are thinking who've spent time pouring over the lists of current free agents. Hear me out. Remember what I was just saying about the Jacksonville Jaguars? How they're in desperate need of cap relief? Well, given last season that they moved Jackson from a starting defensive tackle to a rotational player at the end of last season, despite the fact that he had three and a half sacks and was a pro bowler the previous season, it seems like the writing is on the wall for him. He's even admitted that he does not, publicly, that he does not believe that he has a future in Jacksonville. Knowing that the team can save $9 million in cap space just by cutting him, I mean, he's not stupid. His agents have had conversations with him. Look, you were a pro bowler a year ago. You played well this year, but now they're trying to see if they can live without you. Why? Because they fucked up. Because they fucked up and signed some Ben Roethlisberger lookalike named Blake to this fat contract. And now, because they're idiots, they have to save face and cut it. You're going to pay the price for that, Malik. You are. He knows that. He's making it known that he knows that. With that said, I look at Malik Jackson and here's what I see. He's 29 years old. He is everything that a defensive tackle group like ours. I mean, think about it. Kyle Williams, when he was in his prime, still needed a guy like Marcel Darius to kind of help him hold. When we were the cold front. You remember those years, Chris? Oh, yeah. You had, beat the Packers. You had to have dynamic tackles. Both of them had to be firing on all cylinders. Now you've got one guy who brings no pass rush. You've got who knows what behind him. No one knows what these guys are going to be. I look at Malik Jackson, and here's what I see. I see durability. He's six straight seasons. He's been available for all 16 games. Do you know how rare that is for a defensive tackle? Oh, yeah, especially against the run when you have the offensive line crashing down on you. you know, bodies could fall on your leg, and you get an Eric Wood-style injury, and that hasn't happened to him? No. Pass rush. Okay, From the defensive tackle position, he has 32 and a half career sacks. No fewer than five per year since he's, ever since he became a 16-game starter. It's pretty good. That's pretty good for a defensive tackle. And then his ability versus the run. I get it. Run defense is not dictated by one player. But it's worth noting that between Denver and Jacksonville, every single team he's been on where he got to play all 16 games, in the last four years, they've all finished top five in yards against for defense. Chris, for a team that has been mashed on the ground, and who doesn't have a ton of pass rush. A signing like this, yes, it may cost more than some of the other names that I'm about to mention and some of the other names that exist out there. And certainly it's going to cost more than drafting a defensive tackle in the first round. What kind of contract would you give him? I don't care. That's my point. If I was going to spend money anywhere, here's where I'd throw it. Because this is what I see. I want a dynamic remake of this defensive tackle group. I mean, you want to talk about our linebackers being more successful? It starts with keeping them clean in a 4-3 defense. That's how they're supposed to operate. In order to do that, you have to have talent in the trenches. And as we talked about with Sheldon Rankins, he's just one example. I can come up with five more. 
there is no guarantee that a first-round draft pick is going to step into the team and, you know, just they're, they're going to step onto the field and just become a game-changer from day one. A signing of this caliber, even if it's to a two-year deal for big money, would give us the future flexibility we're looking for, but also allow us to be kind of shifty when it comes to the draft. We're not pigeonholed into taking that. Remember what Bean said, he will never draft for need. If we don't address this position and do anything dynamic, we will we have to draft a defensive tackle, which is exactly what Bean said he will never do. This would be a signing that would address that need. It would give us two legitimate starting defensive tackles with another player behind him that's kind of developing still, who can fill in, and then who, who gives a shit what you do with the fourth? I, I don't care. So if you were to sign Malik, Jack, Malik Jackson, would you still draft one in the middle rounds? You still could, and that's the thing. It would and because you, it's deep, you get value then? Exactly. And now God, it I'm gives so you, smart. It gives you the flexibility to do something like that. I, I, mean, I tell you, for those of you out there, this, to me, he's my big fish in free agency. He's the guy that if I'm spending money anywhere, it's right there at the defensive tackle position. Now, there's other defensive tackle prospects out there. You know, if you wanted to go a little bit cheaper route, here's two that I'm looking at. First off, Jordan Phillips. He played well in a reserve role for the Bills in 2018. And on the flip side of a Malik Jackson signing, he would come with a caveat. If you see the Bills, mark my words, Chris, I'll make a Seagram's bet with you. If the Bills re-sign defensive tackle Jordan Phillips, that underscores the fact that they are committed to taking a defensive tackle in the first round of the draft. So if we re-sign Phillips, we take a, ta- a DT in the at nine. Or yes. Trade back and take one. Yes. Dad probably agree with you on that. And I say that for these reasons, Bills fans. That would mean that we have three roster locks under contract. Star Latule, Harrison Phillips, and Jordan Phillips. And only one of them is a bona fide starter, which means you still have to find another dynamic player at defensive tackle. Otherwise, what are you doing here? Last year, you saw what happened when you got subpar defensive tackle play. Your linebackers couldn't stay clean. I mean, yes, they'll get better as they get older at gap assignments and things like that, but you need to control the line of scrimmage in order to win that fight and to stop getting gashed on the ground and stop losing games the way we've lost them for the last two years. If you sign Jordan Phillips, it means that you're essentially punting to the draft at the defensive tackle spot. What it means, at least in my mind. Mark my words, I think I'm right. I just... I don't know. I think there's if, if that's the move this team makes, I'm going to be sorely disappointed. There's another name out there, though. I think one that might make a little bit of sense. you gotta, you got to follow me on this one. Defensive tackle Henry Anderson. Okay, Previously cast as a defensive end and a defensive tackle from the New York Jets. Now he played in their 3-4 defense. He moved in. So he was drafted by the Colts. They treated him as a defensive end. But he's over 315 pounds. He tried to lose weight in order to play outside defensive end, but they just couldn't make it work in a 4-3 scheme. So they traded him away to the Jets, who immediately told him to bulk back up, and they kicked him inside. Last season, now he's older. He's 28 years old. 
over 300 pounds. He, he is a star waiting to happen. I say that it depends on where he lands, the defensive scheme he fits. But I just look at what I'm seeing on paper from the kid. He's always been great against the run, but last year he had seven sacks as an interior defensive lineman on the New York Jets, whose front seven wasn't impressive. And Chris, we played him twice. Did they scare you with anything that they brought no, in because, one of those games? No, because they didn't have Adam Gase yet. <laughs> yeah, Adam Gase, the defensive line whisperer. The thing is, you're talking about a guy who's been miscast, and then they finally found an interior role for him, and he got better. I feel like you could take that a step farther. Remember what happened with Kyle Williams? He played in that 3-4 defense, and he was an interior defensive lineman, and he tried to play the five-technique defensive end. And when that didn't work, they went back to a 4-3, and he immediately started flashing again, making plays, tackles for loss, quarterback pressures. When you can take a guy who's proven that he can be disruptive in a 3-4 defense, he'll thrive in a 4-3 because it's closing everything in. It means that instead of trying to maybe have to account for two to three blockers per play, sometimes he might only have to take on one. And if he's proven that he can get that many, what, seven sacks and 48 quarterback pressures last season, if he can get that taking on two blockers at once, Imagine what he could do if you shifted him inside in a 4-3 defense with decent defensive end play. Given the fact that he's 28 and he's never seen a meaningful free agent period, he could come at a reasonable contract. That's the thing I like about him. Think about that. This is a guy who isn't a household name. But seven sacks is nothing to sneeze at. I'd never heard of him until he came out of your mouth two minutes ago. Fucking right you haven't because I know football and you don't. <laughs> I mean, the thing I like about it is it gives you more cap flexibility and it gives you a player with upside who doesn't cost you as much as the Grady Jarrett's and the uh, Sheldon Richardson's of the world, who are both going to be, I mean, what are they, defensive tackle one and two in this free agent class. They're going to command top dollar. You could get production similar to that from a pass rush perspective for a fraction of the cost. Then you look at the secondary. Now, you and I just got done talking about this, Chris. There's not a lot of work you have to do here. But as we learned last year, until Levi Wallace came on, we had a we had a gaping hole at cornerback two. Oh, that's right. He quit at halftime. Fucking right he quit at halftime. And then I won a wing challenge based around his failures. <laughs> that. When you look at that position, you can say, hey, Levi Wallace played six good weeks of football. We can give him the job. I don't like that idea. And I don't think the coaching staff does either. Chris, think about how often they've deferred to veteran players. All the time. It's like a reoccurring theme in Buffalo. It doesn't just happen with the Bills. It happens with the Sabres, too. So when you look at that, it's almost guaranteed that they're going to kick the tires on a bunch of different guys this offseason. One that I like, cornerback Marcus Sherrills, formerly of the Minnesota Vikings. There's a lot of reasons to like this. He's going to be 30 next season. And you look at the Vikings roster and the way it's constructed, there's a lot of physicality and youth behind him on their roster already. And he's kind of lost his touch as a punt returner. So those were his primary duties. Now that he's not able to be as physical as a cornerback, his coverage skills are still there, but he just doesn't have it as far as man defense, which 
because the Vikings like to play such a physical brand of football, they do play a lot of man. They'll play zone, but they prefer to play man coverage on the outside. He's kind of lost his value there. So they're probably going to look to the youth on their team, and he's not going to get picked up next year by the Vikings. So with that, he's going to hit the market. And what I see, though, is a guy who he's known for his coverage jobs, and he played last year just $1.4 million was his salary. Okay, On a reasonable deal, even if, Chris, as you said, we have to pay a little bit more, on a 2 or $3 million contract, a guy who has, has a proven track record of productivity at the cornerback, outside cornerback position, like Marcus Sherrill's, long-tenured starter. I like that guy as a guy on this roster on a, on a, you know, a team-friendly deal, two, $3 million a year, even if we have to triple his last season's salary. Because I bet you, Chris, he stuck around in Minnesota specifically because he thought, like a lot of us did, that they would be playing for a Super Bowl. Yeah, that seems about right. I mean, they were preseason favorites by some people. You're going to pay him a little bit more to get him to come here. But what's that 2 to $3 million when you've got 91 to spend? On a two-year deal, you're bringing a veteran presence in there to back up Levi Wallace in case he regresses, in case he's not the guy we think he is. I, I, I just think it makes a lot of sense, especially considering that he comes from a 4-3 defense, that like to mix coverages with zone and man press. I just, I like that sounding a lot. I don't know about you. I don't know what your thoughts on it are. I don't know these names. <laughs> That's my part. I don't know. Who the hell are these people? Uh, who, the, who the hell is Ramek Wilson? Fuck Ramek. Oh, you. Ramek. Ramek. Ramathorn. Yeah, that's like you trying to say miracle. <laughs> Ramek. Ramek. Folks, it doesn't matter. I've never heard of him. The, the last player that? on my list here. Again, we're talking about the philosophy that's been established by this team. Being young, you still want to maintain cap flexibility. There's a guy out there who could help this team in 2019. His name is linebacker Ramick Wilson. When you look at the linebacker class in the upcoming draft, there is a lot of late-round picks or later-round picks that have upside. So if they decided to go that route, I mean, like we said earlier, they already have three serviceable linebackers under, un, under contract. They don't have to make a move at this position. If they did, this is, a dis, this is a direction I'd like them to go. A guy like Wilson could be sneaky. You're talking about a linebacker who has proven special teams ability throughout college, throughout his high school career. He started four games last year. For the Rams, okay, he finally snuck into the. He finally snuck into a. Hey, I'm going to start some games because of injury. I'm going to get in here. He showed athleticism both versus the run and the pass. Thirty. You're talking four games. He had 35 tackles. 26 of them were solo. Three tackles for a loss. Two passes defended and a forced fumble. Given just the devaluation of the position he would play as kind of a fourth linebacker. His contract would probably be reasonable, you know, two, three million dollars. I mean, he wasn't making more than that with the Rams. He was a guy who was a fringe player at best, but he flashed some ability here and there. He's a guy who could do what Lorenzo does, helps you on special teams, 
But he's got so much more defensive upside as a starter, as that third linebacker, when you want to line up in a traditional base 4-3 defense. Because we saw, Chris, the Patriots showed us last year. Remember how we underscored the fact that they just brutalized Lorenzo Alexander's lack of athleticism. He's slow enough now at his age that they knew they could burn him with wide receiver sweeps to Cordero Patterson. And they victimized him for four consecutive first downs on those types of plays. Four in a row to Lorenzo's side of the defense. This is a guy who could come in at linebacker, who's young, who's cheap, who can still contribute a ton of snaps on special teams the same way Lorenzo Alexander used to. And you'd still get some upside of a starting linebacker. Now, this is just one guy, okay? But there's probably half a dozen out there who fit his mold. Chris, Lorenzo Alexander said it himself, he's going into his last year. Wouldn't you want a linebacker with a little bit of pro experience and upside behind him? Uh, yes, that seems uh, smart. Even Thank you. Even I would know to Even do that. Even just to take his special team snaps. A signing like this, now like I said, it doesn't have to be Rameek Wilson, but th- that kind of signing to me is a no-brainer. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we'll sign one of those players. You're pretty good at this free agency crap. I, I, I don't under, I, You don't I just, know the draft. I look at ever. philosophy. I look at philosophy and what makes sense, what's cost-effective, and what helps the team going forward. And understand, folks, this is just the philosophy behind these players. I mean, these are all just names. These are all just guys. I get it. They could sign a number of these, any, any manner of player. But it's this idea that I've developed over watching how they're building this team and what I see with our cap and where we are in terms of draft capital and where the different classes fall between the free agent classes and the draft classes. I mean, it makes it hard. Taking all this in, I guess the underlying theme here is that it makes it hard for me to justify any sort of huge swing for the fences on defense. Chris, we talked about it last week. The The offense is going to need a massive remodeling. Exactly. That's where you'd want to uh, put all your uh, money is on the offensive side of the ball. With that said, there's still work to do on defense. And if you make the right moves, not all the moves, but the right moves, you could take this team and legitimately, you know, you hear the players say week in and week out, we think we're building something special. We think we're on the verge of being a contender. And a lot of people laugh. If this front office makes the right moves this offseason, we could be right there on the doorstep. I don't know. It's been done before. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, we got, got a month to wait. <laughs> it's brutal. Chris, once again, tell the people where they can meet us this weekend. Uh, Legends and Stars, Batavia, Batavia Downs. <laughs> I sound just like the dude. And I know earlier we said Fred Jackson signing, but apparently on their website, legendsandstars.net, it says, due to certain circumstances beyond our control, we'll be signing on Saturday instead of Sunday. So we go to a, a list of uh, players coming on Sunday. Steve Christie, Kenny Davis, Marv Levy, Fred Smurless, Tasker, Steve McMichael, if you have any WCW apparel, bring that. Uh, Tino Martinez, if you're a baseball fan. Stevie Johnson. Josh Allen. Josh Allen signing is uh, 232-4. And we will be there. Come check out Drew's teeth and my mohawk. (laughs) Guys, if you can't make it down to Batavia Downs this weekend and come have a beer with us, 
at least tune in on Facebook, Rock Sports Network. Go check it out. We're going to be doing a, just an off-season primer kind of a show for them, for their TV audience. I mean, you guys hear it every week, but it'll be different to see it you know, live on TV, hear me debate with other people about why I know more about football than them. It's going to be great. It's going to be a great time. Guys, we got to go. Thank you so much for coming and checking this out this week. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.